0: People seem to forget, if you change today, today will change your life. Hello, Lisa, how are you doing? I am
1: awesome, thanks.
0: Awesome, well, uh, glad. uh, thank you so much for for being with me and uh, being on this podcast today. And uh, first question really is to ask, how are you doing just during this crazy pandemic, during this crazy time?
1: You know, I went as a speaker um, who speaks at live conferences across the country, I went from having a very full April and May to an extraordinarily empty April and May. And I've learned a lot. Several of those events uh, went to virtual and um, some of them postponed to later in the year and next year. So I really never thought that I would miss airports and travel as much as I am right now, but I'm really excited at some point, not in the too near future, But at some point to get on that first airplane ride and go to my first event, which right now is slated for August, still kind of of keeping my fingers crossed on that one. Mm -hmm. But I also have events in September, October, and November that Mm -hmm. are slated. And right now it looks like they're good to go.
0: Great. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're sort of, you know, building that schedule back up. And before I get you to maybe introduce yourself a little bit more for the people listening is... Just to ask you the question, because I think a lot of people they're, they're just sort of running on autopilot every day in terms of their busy schedule, in terms of everything else. And this is an opportunity, and you just sort of touched upon it when it, everything just slows down all of a sudden. And it is an opportunity for people, some people, to reassess. You know, maybe they travel too much, and they they tra- you know they get too many early flights, or they do too much of this or whatever. Is there anything that's happened? recently in terms of your schedule of course having changed that's made you think you know what when i go back or get back into things maybe i'm going to adjust how i live my life ever so slightly is there anything that you've thought this has given me an opportunity either to be more grateful for something or opportunity to try a different strategy in terms of how you move forward
1: well one thing i think the biggest thing that has come out of this was about two months ago or so um, when it, at the beginning when it started, mm-hmm. I asked my mother and my family, because we have family text time, of course, and I said, why don't we all jump on a Zoom call? And my mother said, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Yes. I don't know anything about Zoom. And my, sisters, my siblings were like, no, I'm not going to do that. So the first one, so I forced my mother. I could have been just like, oh, okay, we can do FaceTime like we've been doing, but I forced her to go on Zoom. And there was just me, my mom, and my stepsister, the first one. And then the next one, my sister and her husband joined us. And then my sister's two kids joined us. And then my brother and his wife joined us. And so we got it up to nine family members that we were doing twice a week, Wednesdays and Saturdays. And then about three weeks ago, we decided to, we have a cousin in London who wanted to join the, the, the um, Zoom calls. And so we said, well, if we're having the cousins from London, why don't we reach out to the rest of the cousins? So for the last three weeks, we have literally had international Zoom calls with London, Trinidad, Barbados, Canada, um, and then in the United States, California, Nevada, Texas, Massachusetts, Georgia, Florida, and Ohio. So we are having these amazing two to two and a half hour conversations twice a week with my family, one US based, and then the Saturday calls are international. And it's just been this this magical time of connection that we would have never had. I have not spent this much time with my family in my entire adult life. Right. And it's just, it's just like sitting around the living room with your favorite beverage and having a conversation. And it's been a really magical experience. And my mom on just about every call says, I hope that we continue to do these oh, when life gets back to normal and it's like we absolutely
0: yeah, will yeah yeah I, I i and face-to-face engagement for you know for people listening it, a lot of people day to day life they do two things they either do see someone in person or they text and i think for a lot of people they've stopped seeing people in person then they've gone to texting and that's not as as you're an expert in terms of being, you know especially in employee engagement but you'll know from an engagement point of view anyway that's not good that's not good enough for your well-being in terms of just texting and stuff like that. So it's, I think you're absolutely right. I think with all this kind of video technology that we have is keeping you know keeping that always in your back pocket as a tool going forward, um, I think is gonna be incredibly important for people. So um, before we carry on Lisa, just for the people listening, just love to hear a bit more about your background and uh, for the people listening just to understand a bit more about who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. Well, I have a company called Gratitude, which literally is gratitude and strategies mushed together. Yeah. Uh, so although I work primarily with association, I speak at associations to help them to keep their their members, to keep their top talent from becoming someone else's. So I really focus on employee engagement and retention, but we do this with gratitude strategies to create the type of culture where people feel acknowledged, recognized, and valued for the work that they do so i have been this is actually my 10-year anniversary this year for gratitude i uh thank you yeah it started on um october 12 2010 because that was the day that my lucrative medical sales position was eliminated via group conference call with 10 people getting canned at the same time oh. so it's kind of been an interesting uh decade because yeah. you figured that my business was begun in a time of financial collapse, mm-hmm. and through this year, just going through and seeing that same level of disruption in business and being able to just figure it out. you know I, I think about it now, going, well, starting a business in two thousand and ten was probably not my most most brilliant idea, but <laughs> ten years later. I have the tools and the creativity to get through this and I I'm learning a lot. And even though I know things will never go back to the same normal that they were before, a lot of good is going to come out of this and I'm just excited about the future. Uh, yeah.
0: I, I think that, you know, and that goes on to the point you said about 2010 as well is that actually a lot of people would look at it and go, that's just madness. but, but. often there's you know as 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 the market changes as industries change and whatever and for anyone who is struggling at the moment is that actually when there is a struggle there there is always opportunity in there there's always an opportunity for someone in there to step up into that place and it's not you know not to take advantage or anything like that to provide the service that's required at that time right? So whenever you have a, there's a problem, so absolutely. So, yeah. And I think you're right. I think a lot of good can come from, from this particular period. Uh, if people can, can, can see the opportunity through, through what is obviously a very difficult time. Can I ask you what made you want to work in employee engagement? Because, you know, I, I have a corporate background and myself, and, uh, I could make a commentary on what I thought the employee engagement was like there. Um, but, uh, It's such an incredibly important part, but sometimes in a lot of ways, hard to quantify against, you know, leadership metrics and and all of those sorts of things. So what made you want to get into employee engagement?
1: Well, the funny thing about it was in 2010, my message was going to be about gratitude. I was going to bring gratitude into the corporate environment and teach them how to create, you know, how to thank their employees more. And until one of my friends, basically, I was all excited, told her about my vision for my business. And she just kind of patted me on the arm and said, "Uh, you know, nobody's ever going to pay you for that, Lisa. And I thought about it going, you know what? And in 2010, she was pretty much right because we weren't really putting the numbers to uh, appreciation in the workplace like we do now. So I said, well, what are companies paying for? and it was employee engagement. So it's the exact same message, but told in a way that companies understand. Because when employees are engaged, they know that they're more productive and more profitable and more committed and more loyal. But we can actually get there through this culture of appreciation. So it was the same message. And, And for me, it was my own personal experience by keeping a gratitude journal. Mm -hmm. I had gone to a four-day seminar with some of my friends. It included a fire walk. And my friends and I were driving home from Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, We were really, you know, fired up, you might say, Mm -hmm. as as a result of that experience. But we also knew that unless we took action, you know, we'd go back to where we were before. Mm -hmm. So we decided to open up a Facebook thread. And every day we shared with each other, you know, people we met, things we learned, experiences that we had. And one of my friends said, well, why don't we share three things that we're grateful for? And I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, and we held each other accountable. We did that every day. And it was that gratitude practice that I started in 2009 that that literally changed the course of my life and of my career. And I knew down to the core of my being that that was the message that I was supposed to share. Because I'd always wanted to be a speaker, but I didn't know what I was supposed to speak about. I mean, I was in sales, but I really didn't want to speak about sales. I had done some network marketing, but again, it wasn't that much of an interest to me from a speaking standpoint. But when I had this, uh, when I saw the benefits, when I saw what happened, from simple acts of gratitude and keeping track of them in a journal, um, that was the message. And it resonated to me back then. It still resonates. And thankfully, I've been able to bring that message to thousands and thousands of people in the last 10 years.
0: When you said about it, sort of, you felt it in the core of your being. So I know what that sort of feeling's like, where it you don't. You don't hear it in your head. You kind of feel it in your heart. It's a completely different feeling. But but not everyone listening. Maybe has got to that point. Maybe is unsure of whether they felt it. And I think it's one of those things that you 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 know it when you feel it. It'd be great if you can describe if you can describe what you felt it in the core of your being. What that? How would you articulate what that is to you? Because that it's such a different experience for different people. But some people talk about feeding it in their bones or whatever else, but you know, how did it feel? What was the sort of this visceral reaction it had for you?
1: Oh boy. Um, you know, sometimes what happens in our life is we try to control everything in that what we're supposed to do, or we know what our goals are and we try to figure out how it has to happen. Mm. And Mike Dooley, who is one of my favorite daily emails with Tut of Thoughts from the Universe, um, talks about the cursed house. And sometimes it's just letting go. Like I knew I wanted to be a speaker, but I didn't know how that journey was going to happen. I didn't know, you know, what I was supposed to do, how I was supposed to do it, but being open to, you know, what whatever. Uh, you know whatever showed up, mm-hmm. and sometimes uh, you know, and and people will say things like you know find your passion and the money will follow. Yeah. You know yeah. it, it doesn't always do that because if your passion is drinking beer, eating potato chips, and watching television, nobody's going to pay you to do that. Um, but on the other hand, so it it's being conscious of how can I make a living doing what I love, finding a problem to solve. Mm-hmm that will help people. And the thing about gratitude is that it's so easy. It's easy to do It's also easy not to do, but I'm not coming in with 52 steps to putting together a corporate Mm. business plan or business strategy or something. It's these simple things of connection, of looking for the good, of even when you are in the depth of despair to, feel whatever that emotion is but when you start to come out of it to find one good thing okay what's one good thing about this car accident i just got into well number one uh i didn't die uh number two i'll get a new car out of it (laughs) so we just you know we focus on the good so it's just these little strategies that in my programs i actually you know, start there. Because even though I'm talking about employee engagement, unless people can find the good in their own lives, it makes it difficult to start with employee engagement. Yeah. We have to start okay. to condition ourselves to look for the good, to be on the the lookout for that in our lives. And then it makes it much easier to bring that more uh, positive, grateful person into the workplace.
0: Yeah. Uh, absolutely and i and i remember re, i remember coming across something basically said from a scientific standpoint that it, it's impossible to be grateful and depressed at the same time you can't have both emotions existing and from that point on i i always talked about it from a a positive tower and a negative tower. And it doesn't require any conscious effort to build that negative tower because our brain, because our brain is designed to help us survive. It will spot what's wrong. It will spot the dangers and it will stack them and add them up. And it just builds this negative tower, but it requires conscious effort to build the positive tower. And so similar to you, every single day I've, I add, you know, I've got, uh, I used to have it as a list on my wall, but now I've got it as a sort of list on my phone every single evening, adding something to that. And you're absolutely right. The difference it makes where it's a, a consistent practice, it just start. All of a sudden, your brain starts to look for it, which I just, mm-hmm. you know, your brain. I love how your brain can be sort of so clever and so stupid at the same time. Where if you if you just tell your brain to go over here, it's it sort of just looks over there, and all of a sudden starts looking for stuff. I just find that so interesting. So, and I'd love to know, you know, those two elements. And your your journey seems to be kind of similar to mine because my thing was. I had cripplingly low self-belief and I knew that I had to build confidence. But then of course, you've got to look at what is the market asking for? Because it's exactly what you said. You can't just get paid for whatever you want. So then I had to create programs for confidence in different areas. So what I'm really keen to know is you, you, had, you had this understanding of gratitude, really felt it you know, internally. Then you realize that employee engagement was this area to, to that gratitude could be maximized to have really positive effects. So talk, if you could provide a few ways that you go into business, you know, talk to businesses and and how you get them to incorporate those elements. I'm sure lots of people listening will be thinking, oh, please, my company doesn't understand me. They don't understand how to keep me engaged. I'd love to know some of the things that you you could suggest for companies to be doing.
1: Sure, and it really does start at the top. Um, When employee engagement is just an HR function, Um, where the top leaders of the organization don't believe it, it's not going to work. When I have somebody come up to me after a program, they're like, oh, my (laughs) company really needs you. I know that there is a very, very small chance that that company would ever bring me in uh, because it's the companies that are already doing things well and want to do things better that are the ones that succeed. And I will tell employees, you know that, you know what, life is too short. And you have, if, if you, all of us, no matter what level we are in the organization, whether we the present, CEO, owner, or janitor, we have a choice every single day to make somebody's day a little bit brighter or to make somebody's day a little worse. Mm-hmm. But it reaches the point that if you are doing everything you can as an employee, and you, the leadership of the company is just toxic, then you have to make the decision. And unfortunately, you know, I have had bosses on both ends of the scale, like most people do. When I was in the welding industry, my boss Dale was one of, it's still, I haven't worked for Dale since 2003. He's still one of my very best friends and we talk regularly. Because with Dale, he was there when I needed him. He could talk me off the ledge when I was having a horrible day. Um, he would celebrate with me when things were going well, I can use whatever colorful language that I needed to, to Mm -hmm. express my point. Mm -hmm. And he was never offended. And, you know, and he was just always there and he was proud of me. And, um, I had another boss that I simply referred to as he who shall not be named. Mm -hmm. And it was just the opposite. He was a boss that you, you could only tell him what he wanted to hear it was not safe, you could have a conversation that you thought was resolved, the issue was resolved, and a year later, he would bring it back up on your employee review. And that was a company that made it really easy to leave. So, you know, you you look at the fact of that these are not soft skills, there is nothing soft about gratitude, there's nothing soft about employee engagement, Because when employees feel connected to your company, they're going to give you their heart, their soul, their commitment, their loyalty, where if you never express appreciation, if you don't even know their freaking names, you know, then somebody else offers them a job down the street, you know, for 50 cents more an hour, they're gone. And you just, all the money that you just spent on them in their training and their onboarding and everything that's out the door so if we can start putting the the numbers to the cost of engagement then leadership realizes that hey you know what maybe if i start catching my employees doing things well instead of beating the heck out of them all the time when things aren't going well maybe my ter- maybe i won't have such a turnover in my company mm. but until they Start doing it and start seeing the positive results that come as a result of these little things. um, It's not likely to work. It you really that's why I start with such a foundation of gratitude because I figure if these people are are seeing the benefits with their spouse and their kids and the other people in their life, then it makes it easier to bring that person into the workplace. So it's a full, it's a cycle of appreciation. And when you can complete that cycle, that's when it, the beautiful things happen.
0: Okay. And I was to look back at maybe one of the top things that, you know, I, I think for most people in the business of all the things that they want to, you know, to be supported with or appreciate they just want to feel understood. Mm-hmm. And I'm amazed at if that's all it really comes down to. How businesses have, can have such a poor understanding of the people that work for them. One of the top things I remember being a problem is support in terms of career development. And and I know that you've you've done work that sort of touches on that sort of subject um, a bit. And you know, working companies where, you know, they're asking for lots of lateral movement first to get you lots of experience. They don't necessarily have a prog- uh, sort of a, an X's and O's way of showing, you know, once you do this, you will get that progression and everything else or in terms of providing realistic incentives and all of that sort of stuff. So how can businesses be doing a better job in terms of supporting career development? Because it is a tricky subject. You want to, you know, sure. there's only so many positions. How can people, one, do better work themselves? Because it's always, as you sort of said, it's always the, the business's responsibility, but our own responsibility as well. It's, it's on both sides of the coin. How, could, how can career development, how can we make that easier? Uh, you know, how can a, an individual in a workplace make that easier? Uh, and how can the leaders make, do a better job in supporting that?
1: One of the best ways is uh, just called the stay interview. You know, we've talked about exit interviews and people are already out the door. Why would you interview somebody that's walking out the door? It's like, hello, why are you leaving? Versus if you sit down with that employee and say, what keeps you here? What do you like about your job? Where do you see yourself going? And how can I help you get there? Like because that. maybe that employee says, you know what? I've been taking nighttime computer classes at work. I really like it. Um, You know, if there was something I could do more to use those skills, that would make me really happy. So it's not like that employee saying, well, I want your job. And, and, but otherwise, that person comes because they're taking these, these night courses, and they found another job using those skills, and you didn't even know about it, because they gave you their, their resignation. And you're like, well, why are you leaving? Well, because they hired me for these new skills, where if you would have known that before, you could have maybe figured out a career path. Hmm. For me, I remember when I was in the welding industry, I had had one job where I was promoted into management way too early. It was with an executive search firm that I was at. I was 23 years old and it was just a bad experience. Um, they, They gave us all basically psychological tests to see which one of us would be the best person in management and for some reason they chose me over the 40 and 50 year olds that I was working with probably because of my energy and enthusiasm and all of this kind of stuff but I didn't have the street smarts like I knew what to do but I hadn't built up that track record of respect and leader and, and management at that time always just left a bad taste in my mouth I didn't want anything to do with it. And so for my careers afterwards, like when I interviewed with Dale for the welding industry, I told him, I said, at some point, you're going to want to promote me into management. I don't want it. I want nothing to do with management. I just want to be a salesperson and be responsible for myself. Mm-hmm. And Dale respected that. Now, he, every once in a while, he would bring it up. What about no? Well, what about No. <laughs> well, what about, no? And so traditional management thinking is when you have your best salesperson or you have your best person in production, you know, ooh, we should promote them. They want to be promoted. Not everybody does. So sitting down and asking them, what do you see yourself or, you know, giving people the opportunity to try out different jobs um, and keeping an eye on them of what makes them light up because maybe you hired them for one thing, but now they took over for Betty Sue while she was on vacation and they are just smoking yeah. it in this new position. I'm paying attention. And it's like, ooh, maybe I can keep Joe because I'm going to give him more responsibility in the area that he likes more than what he was doing before. So a lot of it comes down to paying attention, talking to your employees, asking them, because in a lot of cases, the answers that they give you of the things that they want are much less than what you think they're going to demand.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I think of that, I sort of use the analogy of, you know, if you ask someone how much they want to make and someone might come up with a number like, oh, I want to make 100000 a year. And you ask them why. And they go, oh, it just sounds good. And if you actually just do the, the, the you know, work out the numbers of why do they, what, what do they need in their life to pay for? What, what sort of level of entertainment do they want? And that number's always lower than actually this astronomical. So, so very similar to what you're saying, which is, it's, it's, you know, sometimes we have, unless we actually do the work to actually investigate what the specifics and, and the motivations are, then you actually can find out, well, actually, you're saving yourself a lot there. So I, I totally get that. I totally get that.
1: So One, it's funny because when, yeah, when, I, was in med- when I was in medical sales, I was making six figures. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and that was the reason I didn't quit because I was like, oh, I have, I have yeah. to make $100,000 yeah. a year or else I will just die. Mm. Well, when my position was eliminated via group conference call, like I said, yeah. um, what I discovered is that I, you can live on a lot less when you're happy. I thought my husband would be like, oh, girlfriend, you are going back to work because I started, <laughs> like I said, I started my business in 2010 for goodness mm-hmm. sake. And I took loss after loss. The first four, it took me four years just to be profitable. But in that time, I loved everything that I did. And it was such a realization that we have these numbers in our head of what we think we need. But when we really, truly love what we do and we're passionate about it, we can make so much less and, and really be able to enjoy life. And now, you know, again, 10 years later, I've built up a, a really nice business. But I just figure that I, I do things until they're not fun anymore. And I am still having a blast. And I can't, Scott, my husband talks about retiring. I'm like, dude, I am never retiring. <laughs> just not going to happen. That's
0: how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. And, and so on that train of thought, if you don't mind me asking is, what is the most important thing to you? as far as as far as anything, because when you talk to me about, you know, the, the thing you said a minute ago, which is you can, you can do a, you can, you know, uh, if you, if you're happy, you can be earning yeah. a lot less. Okay. And, and when you say th- when I hear things like that, which I really hope people listening, take that sort of thing in because it's not just, uh, some people kind of nod along and go, yeah, I understand that intellectually, but not everyone has got to the point of feeling what that feels like yet. Okay. Um, I'm just curious as to, you know, and you started talking a bit more in terms of, you know, not wanting to retire and finding that happiness and, and all of that stuff is, what is the most important thing to you right now? Now that you've, you've, you've had your sort of, you've had your success and you've had this and, and you're now just trying to find that blend of everything. What, what, what's really important to you at the moment?
1: Um, you know, I really love my life. I love being on stages. I love speaking. I love the travel. But I also told my husband several years ago that if my travel ever gets in the way of us, Mm. you need to let me know. Because my husband, Scott, we just celebrated 24 years of marriage in April. Congratulations again thank you and he is the the kindest most amazing man i have ever met in my whole life and you know the fact that we've been you know stuck together for the last 2 months in this covid-19 <laughs> i'm really blessed that i'm i'm hanging out with somebody that i really have a good time mm-hmm. with so um You know, I I love the energy of being on stage. I love the message that makes a difference. I have, you know, my gratitude thought of the week has been coming out every week since 2011. Um, I make no money on that. It's not a marketing list or anything, but I love the stories that I hear that people share with me. Um, One of these days when it does come to, uh, you know, Scott wanting to retire, At that point, I'll make him my business manager so that he can travel with me because as a speaker, I get to go to some really amazing places. But I also, I I look at my speaking to create the lifestyle that I want. Mm. When I first started speaking, I wanted to be the next Tony Robbins man. I wanted to make $200 billion a year speaking and stuff. And then what I realized is, you know, no, I don't. I don't want to be on the road 300 days a year. And I don't want to spend my whole life in hotel rooms and stuff. I I want to travel, you know, 50, 60 events a year, You know, gives me just enough of that fix without, um, you know, cause I had one year that I did 127 oh, events yours. and wow. it was, and I was just gone. I wow. missed birthday parties. I missed celebrations. I missed my best friend's mother's funeral mm. because I was on the road. So now that I have gotten it down to, like I said, that 50, 60 events a year, um, it gives me the lifestyle that I need. Um, the time that I want to spend with my husband, I still get you know, I I think it just really brings the best of both worlds. So when you look at the things that you value, the things that are most important, because as a speaker, you know, I might I mean, you may find this surprising, but there are some speakers out there with really big egos. <laughs> <Yeah. Shock. laughs> and Shocker. sometimes that ego, that being on the road, that adulation that you get creates this you know, this need for that. And it destroys the relationships Mm -hmm. in your life. So many Mm -hmm. divorces and problems and everything else. And I just refuse as much as I absolutely love what I do. um, I love being at home too. And Mm -hmm. I love the time that I spend with my husband and with my cats and um, with my family and that's the important thing it's really drilling down to uh what do you want and what can you not live without and yeah. i i can't live without my husband and my family and the life that i've established
0: that's beautiful and i and i own, i, I asked that question because you know for for, for speakers or for people kind of in that space you know the traveling is a killer and a lot of the sort of um fears you laid out or in terms of you spoke about the ego and everything else is is finding that balance and it's, it's it's awesome that you feel like you've got that kind of perspective and everything and yeah how many people want to be Tony Robbins but actually at what cost is, is sort of is a big part of it absolutely. Um however there are a lot of people listening who go, you know what, I'd love to be on stage. I'd love to that knowledge that I have and they feel that maybe they haven't found their niche yet, but they just know they've got something inside of them that it can provide value for other people. They just don't know how to get on that stage. They just don't know where those people are who are ready to listen to their message. How do people set up a speaking business for you know, and I, you know, I've, I've been, I've been fortunate to, to speak for various different companies and things like that, probably not on the scale that you've done. And um, how can people, Get their message across and set up their own speaking business. Even and then the second part of the question is, during a, a time like this where a lot of people go, oh well, that's surely the speaking business ceases to exist. You've mm-hmm. been proof we were speaking beforehand of how you can. It's not the case. You can certainly transform what you do into the virtual world. So, how can people make that business a reality for themselves?
1: Sure, the um, in the live world when we get back to live meetings, it's, you know, there's a saying in the speaking industry, if you want to speak more, speak more. So what that means is at the beginning, you're going to, uh, you're trying to speak at every rotary, Kiwanis chamber meeting. The nice thing about rotaries and Kiwanas and those types of civic organizations is that they have meetings every single week. Mm. Now you are not going to get paid. You'll get a free breakfast or a rubber chicken lunch. You know, they call it the rubber chicken circuit. Mm-hmm. But what you're doing in building that is, number one, you're always recording, uh, either setting up your phone at the back or doing something, because what you want to see is what is working with your message. Where's the audience really engaged? Where are they laughing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then study that and, and, you, and, and keep building that, because what happens is the more you speak and you're paying attention to it and you're building your speech with something that connects with people. At some point, somebody will come up to you after that meeting and say, oh, you're really good. I'd love to bring you into my company. How much do you charge? Mm. And at that point is when you're ready to start, you know, um, making a business out of it. There is no such thing as the 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 speaking circuit the mythical circuit okay you're not gonna jump on it so let's just you know get that out of your mind um it's it probably the hardest that you will ever work Mm -hmm. the longest hours for the least amount of money and it takes years to do and i put that out there because again there's this there's this perception that speaking is is easy. Oh, I won a Toastmasters contest once or my friends told me you should be you should be a professional speaker. You could have the greatest speech in the world. But unless you're an amazing marketer, it's better to have a good speech and be an amazing marketer than an amazing speech and not want to pick up the phone and Mm. not want to market your speaking business. People also feel that they should hire somebody to do their marketing for them. And that doesn't work either. Number one, unless you have gobs of money to pay somebody who can't sell yourself nearly as well as you sell yourself, um, I still pick up the phone. I um, probably out of all the events that I did last year, 80% of those events were because of my outbound marketing. And that's what's also getting me through right now because I'm still connecting with people. I'm coming from a different area of more of service. Like the first couple of weeks, I was just, we were all shell shocked. I mean, I didn't want to pick up the phone. I didn't want to do anything. But now I'm back in the groove and I had two um, conversations yesterday where they wanted to, to hire me and bring me in and we are in the midst of a pandemic. Mm. So if you're willing to do the work, build your skills, hire coaching, um, but by the same token, I also put the disclaimer on this, um, this is the real world, not the unicorn and rainbows version, is there are a lot of speakers, there are a lot of people out there who prey on beginner speakers. So before you invest in any programs or coaching, make sure that those people actually have a track record behind them instead of how to make a million dollars speaking, the only reason they're making a million dollars speaking is they're paying speaker wannabe, or speaker wannabes are paying them, but they've never been on stage and they've never sold a speaking gig in their life. Mm. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of money, I've spent more than $100,000 on training and coaching and marketing and everything in the the 10 years that I've been speaking and I continue to invest in myself. Mm but I've also made really smart decisions with who I've worked with and what I've done. So, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but it's, it, like I said, it's a great, um, it's fantastic, but the, what speakers, and I'll say the newbie speakers or speaker, speaker wannabes, the perception that they see of being on stage is such a small piece of the business, Mm -hmm. that's maybe 5% of the speaking business. The other 95% is making the sales calls and having the sales conversations and getting on planes and and getting, uh, you know, travel bumped and hotel messed up and stuck in traffic and missing your flights and you know, sleeping in, in, or, you know, uh, having to sleep in a city, I've slept in two airports, Minneapolis and uh, Chicago Midway, not fun with 300 of your closest friends when you get stranded. (laughs) So everything else, but it's almost like, and this, this analogy just came to me, that if you're a golfer, and you are having a horrible, horrible game for 17 holes. Your life has just sucked. You weren't able to get even close to the hole. You have this, and then it's the 18th hole, and you have that beautiful, perfect drive. (laughs) That makes you wanna come back and and, and play golf again. It's the same with speaking. All of this work, all of this pain, all of the struggle that you go through for that magical hour on stage, it just makes you want to do it again.
0: (laughs) I can resonate with that. So from a business point of view, in terms of at the beginning, you know, whether it's speaking or coaching or anything like that is at the beginning, you, that first time you hear something. And I remember, I remember it was a, a boring you with the detail watching a particular video and going, that's it. That is exactly what I want to do. And feeling that feeling of excitement and burning inside of me. And then you have this, you know, when you st- when anyone starts anything, you have that excitement, but you have this, uh, I guess, unconscious awareness. You don't know what you don't know yet. So at, the, at that point, you're like, yeah, I can do this. And you hear, oh, that person makes 50K a speed. Oh, yeah, I can do that. And then you start finding out what you don't know. Obviously it makes you a lot better. But then you come to realize as you go through this process, is that most exactly what you said most of what you do isn't the stuff that you thought of at the beginning the marketing the sales all of that stuff and you have to love it beyond any shadow of a doubt that thing for that five percent because and you know i've had people say to me along the way the amount of work i put in was it worth it now it gets to a point where you sort of look back and you think well that was a lot of work to get to that point but you're right for those individual moments yes it is but if someone told me all of that work that'd be required at the start would i have started i don't know and so for people listening who sometimes kind of go you know oh, i want to know more i want to know how to do everything i want to know how it all works and they, at the beginning they go i want to know everything the thing is, if they knew everything it would took, it would take it 'd be quite daunting, so sometimes it 's quite good at the beginning, not knowing the full picture mm-hmm. yet, because at yeah. least you get going and I, I resonate massively with what you 're saying where it 's just just for that individual moment where you can then look back and it it 's so worth it, yeah. so uh, absolutely can can um, can, uh, can relate to that something else. Um, I sort of want to cross back and forth between the speaking and the employee engagement. Is you've spoken about reducing the stress response. That was something that I've no, I, I saw come across you. And when anyone talks about this sort of thing, and I have a huge interest in it because my, my thing is that whenever you look back at an event in your life, you look back at how you don't look back at the event, you look back at how you saw the event. Mm -hmm. therefore how you define it in the moment is incredibly important not always easy to do to and it's not about putting sunshine and rainbows and unicorns all over it but actually defining it in a way that allows you to learn and grow so actually part of that is reducing the stress response i'd love to know from your point of view what you think that looks like and i'm sure for lots of people listening who go i'd love to just some you know find a way to reduce my stress and if we had ways of doing that in a second, then we'd be earning millions every month. So it's not always that right. <laughs> easy. But I'd love to know your opinion in terms of reducing the stress response, what that looks like to you.
1: Well, first of all, there, there's uh, a couple different ways. But you know, the first for me has just been the, uh, the daily keeping of my gratitude mm-hmm. journal. Um, because the nice thing about that is I know that in the 11 years that I've been keeping it now, it has rewired my brain. And basically, it's I wake up in the morning and before my feet touch the ground, um, you know, I write down five things for which I'm grateful with the words I am grateful for Mm. and adding a little bit of detail to it. So it's not every day I'm grateful for my husband, I'm grateful for my cats, I'm grateful for my house. I mean, that gets really boring. (laughs) Does it need to be, you know, completely different every day? No, I'm grateful for Scott a lot. But what I do is I, I add the little things to it. Um, You know those details, and that helps from a long-term basis. And a lot of times, I'll ask people, you know, if those people who used to have a gratitude practice and got away from it, um, because again, they buy a journal that doesn't that has dates in it, and they skip a couple days, and then they feel guilty, and then they say, "Well, screw it, I I just you know I'm not going to do that anymore." My whole thing is number one: buy a journal that doesn't have dates (laughs) in it, so you don't have to feel guilty, but that's a long-term approach for a short-term approach. It really comes down to the breath. And when you are feeling that, uh, that stress, you know, there's, there's several different breathing practices. Mine, uh, the one that I go to the most, I just call four, seven, eight, because that's the count Mm -hmm. of breathing in for four, holding for seven, releasing for eight. Um, But I also like the box four, which is breathing in for four, hold for four, release for four, hold for four, so it just kind of makes that, but anything that you're doing where you're consciously um, going to the breath and filling up the lungs, because otherwise, you know, when our breath is shallow, it's more likely to keep us in that stress response. Mm. Um, Also, you know, heart breath, which is going and imagining, you know, focusing on your heart and seeing your breath literally coming in and out of your heart, that visualization. You can either do it with your hand on your heart, which will increase the flow of endorphins, or, you know, if there's people around and you don't want them to think that you're having a heart attack, you you can still do the visualization of heart breath. And um, the nice thing about that is that takes you that helps you get out of the stress response. Um, One more popped into my mind, and this is from HeartMath, the Institute of HeartMath, which is in California. And they have an activity called freeze frame that I will also do in some of my programs. But basically, in that you um, start with the heart breath, then you focus on a time of absolute joy um, you know, what I have them do first is bring to mind something that is causing them some consternation, mm. something that not going deep into it, but just try trick out. It there. Yeah. yeah. And then we go where they put their hand on their heart, they do that heart yeah. breath. And then I take them through where they are focusing on just something that brings them pure joy, where they can feel that joy to the core of their being. And then after four, five, six breaths, whatever it is, um, I'll have them think about that thing that was causing them some some um, con- some problems, and then just say, you know, to bring that to mind, and how can I look at this situation differently, and then listen. Mm-hmm. And what that does is because we are in this heart space, because we are in this area of positivity, it makes it easier for us to look at a dis- different situation, a difficult situation with a little different lens on Mm. and then, you know, a couple more breaths, but freeze frame. Yeah. You can find that on the Institute of heart math. It'll take you through, but that's an activity you can do in one to two minutes and do it as many times a day as you want. Because what we want to do is give ourselves enough tools in our arsenal that when we are feeling, you know, stressed, depressed, mad, angry, whatever it is that we have some tools that we can go to, to work on getting out of that stress response.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I don't know about you. It sort of leads into my next question, which is, you know, I I work with people with obviously different ages, but d- different generations. And I find a bit with the different generations that you start to see that different strategies. Can't, I don't want to make this a hard and fast rule, but different strategies seem to work for different generations of people. I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I, I know that you, some of your work is also will be in terms of employee engagement is understanding different generations sure. as well. I, I'd love to know your insights in terms of through your, through your studies, through your experience, actually in the workplace, but it just in general as well, what different generations are maybe looking for what works for different generations um, and maybe what businesses can be doing better for the for the next generation coming through. I know it's quite a broad question, sure. but just any insights that you have around around generations.
1: Well, the real short cliff notes version is if you think about the traditionalists that were born before 1946. I mean, they worked to support their family. They didn't expect kudos. They didn't. They They didn't expect their boss to ever thank them or do, tell them they were doing a good job. They got a paycheck and they went home to their you know, to their families. Mm. Boomers came in and they saw what the traditionalists had and they wanted that, but they wanted it much more quickly. So, boomers were basically the generation of workaholics that they would come into the office way before their boss got there, work, you know, way afterwards, never take vacations, destroy their marriages in the process. So, boomers did a lot of things to build on their career but they didn't get thanked for it because that's not how their bosses were wired. So Gen X came into the workplace and they kind of saw what corporate America did to boomers. And they're like, you know what? I don't want me none of that. I want work-life balance. So then we started seeing you know, that coming in where they wanted to spend more time with their family because this was a generation of latchkey kids and raising themselves and very independent also a very small generation. Uh, then we had the millennials come in. And if you think about it, the millennials are the offspring of the boomers. So here we have the boomers who were never thanked and they didn't want their kids to necessarily feel that same, you know, uh, abandonment. So they overthink. That's when we saw the participation ribbons and blah, 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 yeah. all of that stuff. But the important thing to realize is that Millennials and afterwards, these generations have gotten feedback their entire life. They got feedback on everything they ever did, every sports, every school, everything. As we had the whole, and Boomers created them, helicopter parenting type of thing. But in the workplace, you can't just have a once a year personal performance review and think that that's enough feedback, mm. because generations now want to know how they're doing and it's not like everything oh everything you do is so good oh my goodness you're so awesome no they want to know how they're doing short check-ins how are you doing how can i help recognizing when they're doing things well letting them know what they can do to improve because this is a generation millennials gen z you know they want to grow and develop in their career that's what they're looking for but the feedback is just different Um, back in my day you know, there was that corporate, that, that, um, you know, that autocratic corporate ladder that I could just couldn't go talk to the president of the company. I had to talk to my boss who talked to her boss who talked to his boss who talked to their boss to say, you know, can Lisa say good morning to Mort, the president. Now, the, you know, um, employees want immediate access. They want to be known. They want to be heard. So if you're an owner of a company and you just walk through the facility, don't say hi to anybody, don't you know? Then they're not going to have that same level of commitment to you. Mm -hmm. If you walk through that same, you know, the shop, the plant, the facility, whatever it is, and just are are like, "Hey, Bob, how you doing today? Hey, how was Jimmy's baseball game yesterday?" You know, that employee is going to be like, "Holy cow! He or she knows me. They're paying attention." And there's a different level of of connection of, wow, that makes that employee want to stay. So it's, you know, sometimes it's just walking through and saying, hello, how are you today? Um, Knowing a little bit about your employees and then, you know, giving feedback, but being much more accessible. Leadership needs to be much more accessible than they ever were before. So that would be the, the breakdown, but but whatever generation, it's always about human connection and knowing how people want to be recognized. Some people like to be, you know, don't get, I don't care about the salary, give me the plaque. Give me the recognition and the adulation of calling me up in front of the whole company and presenting me with a plaque. Other people are like, I don't care what I did, that would mortify me. Just come in my office and say, and quietly say thank you and leave. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah. it's it's individual there's a part of it I think with the generations there's a part of it of just knowing that more is needed now as far as feedback but as far as still um, making recognition in individual experience and knowing what people want and how they want to be recognized is where the magic happens
0: mm.
1: and what, what do you think it's going to
0: look like for the, the generation after this
1: well, the with Gen Z and I think this next generation I've heard Gen Alpha, maybe because they're just starting at the beginning of the alphabet. I have no idea, but number, but we can't figure out like Gen Z are they going to be more entrepreneurial um, because they 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 have that blood and they you know they live in this gig economy or Are they looking for the stability of working for an organization that's gonna give them benefits? So we're kind of seeing both ends of the the equation. Um, But knowing that, like in my talks, I will tell my participants, you have to look literally at every single area of your business differently today. Because it's not eight to five, it's not nine to five. Because we're on 24-7, millennials and, and beyond, so Gen Z and Gen Alpha, they are the first generations where they're digital natives. You know, they have never not had a cell phone, not had access. So if you, as their boss, are sending them an email at three o'clock in the morning because you can't sleep, they're like, oh, crap, I got to get back to this person in 2.3 seconds. They're going to they're gonna think that I'm slacking off. So it's a different level of stress that we don't have that delineation between personal life and business life. And it's the same thing in business. It, and I think with COVID-19, a lot of companies are discovering this because as, a, as boomer-led corporations would always be like, I have to see you. If, I, if you're not in the, the office working, then you must not be working because you can't work from home. Well, my husband worked from home. He's an accountant for the first two weeks of this whole thing. He was working from home. They set him up and there's a whole bunch of companies that are like, wow, people got a lot of work done without the (laughs) constant interruptions of being called into meetings and people stopping in and they can work from home. Um, But flexibility and time um, are some of the greatest gifts that, that, that companies can give to their employees. Um, one of my favorite examples, I spoke to a roofing association uh, a couple of years ago. And one of the guys in the audience says that, you know, you think about putting on roofs, sun's out, it's not raining. We're putting on roofs seven days a week. That's how the business goes. This company had such a hard time finding employees. They put on roofs from Monday through Friday. They give their employees the weekend off. And it's like, well, have they lost business? Yeah. But have they actually been more profitable? Mm. Yeah, because they're they don't have the same turnover. These employees like having their weekends off, and they're more likely to put in longer hours during the week to get the jobs done, so that they they can do that. So we just look at those different aspects of our business, and COVID nineteen has changed a lot of that. Uh, do I have time ta- time for one more quick story?
0: Please. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay.
1: I'm actually doing some um, presentation skills coaching with a minister right now. And they, I was hired by this church before COVID-19 happened. So I was supposed to go to the service and mm. watch the minister and then work with them after the service on you know, just presentation delivery. Well, then COVID happened. And so now what they've done is they have gone to doing their services on Facebook Live. And all of our coaching is done via Zoom. Yeah. Now, if I would have told this guy, three months ago, hey, what I think you should do is put your services on Facebook because you'll have a wider audience. He would have said, oh no, congregation's not on Facebook. They'd never do it. Nobody will like it. We have to meet in service. That's what we have a service, a church for, blah, 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 blah. Now, instead of having 60 people in the pews, he has 350 people across the country and people saying because you know they're in the chat they're making comments during facebook they're connecting with each other the minister is asking them to share things in the chat awesome. so there's actually conversation going on where this would have never happened and even when they go back to meeting live they're still doing facebook live so These businesses that we get stuck in our head that this is the way it has to be, Mm. that has completely turned on its head right now. And these are some some of the many benefits that I think are going to happen is that we're looking at our business differently and we're seeing that there's a lot more creative things that we can do to be successful in business and to reach a lot more people than we ever thought possible before Mm. this all happened.
0: I, I totally agree with that. And in the UK, we, you know, our sort of uh, local doctors or GP surgeries, uh, you know, people to, to get their sort of, you know, everyday kind of checkups and things like that, where none of that, none of it, not, forget video, it just wasn't online, it was all paperwork. And mm-hmm. and just in the UK, just real, realising how have they existed, doing it that way. And, and it's always the difference between, do you want to change? People don't get what they want. It's sorry they don't get what they want they get what they have to have and businesses now have to and now they're, they're reaping the benefits and the results and and you know these these local surgeries and stuff they'll start to see the benefits and of, of doing that in terms of time in terms of profit in terms of all of these sorts of things the final thing i wanted to uh, ask you was as i said it's sort of your 10 year anniversary of, of, of your business and what you've been doing and this really sort of um in kind of empowering journey that you've been on 10 years ago you had an idea in terms of the sort of impact you wanted to make so it's a sort of a twofold question one is um have do you feel like you've made the sort of impact that you want to make and secondly is whatever that impact it is that you want to make in terms of whatever the specific the core message of what you have to say is I'd love for you to be able to share that with people listening as well. So I guess there are two parts of this question. Do you f- first feel like you've made that impact that you thought of 10 years ago? And secondly, what, what is it in terms of the impact that you could share with everyone else?
1: Um, I believe that I have, um, maybe not to the ec- extent or to the scale but like we talked about a little bit earlier, um, I'm, I'm really good where I am right now as far as the number of events that I'm doing and the number of people that I am connecting with. And it's such a, a basic human connection. Um, when I have people connect with me afterwards and like that was exactly what I needed to hear and thank you so much. And they give me examples of how they've used it at home and mm. how they've used it in the workplace and how it's working like I said with gratitude thought of the week um, the responses that I get from that and what I have found is the more raw it is because I used to do when I first started gratitude thought of the week it was evergreen you know I would write these like 10 12 weeks out and um, because I turned a, a couple of those into a couple of my bit, books, 52 weeks of gratitude and 52 more weeks of gratitude. Um, but when I changed service providers, I, I do gratitude thought of the week is, is in the week. It's like on Thursday mornings when it comes out, sometimes I wake up, I go, oh, what am I gonna write about today? And so the responses are real. And like I said, I, I I found that the more just kind of raw it is, I don't overthink it. And I think that that message that goes out every week, um, you know, it does make a difference. Um, So in the, the, the 10 years, um, yeah, you know what I I have, I think that it's always bigger and continuing to have that conversation i speak with a lot of manufacturing and trade associations so changing those uh you know just just changing the conversation when it comes to encouraging people to go into manufacturing to go into the trades but i am uh, i try to live my life with no regrets Mm -hmm. and um, I think what I did very well very well in my speaking business early is that, number one, I niched on a topic, which was gratitude, which turned into employee engagement. And now I've niched into an industry, which is, you know, manufacturing and the skilled trades. Now, will I speak to any organization? Yeah, I've worked with finance and long-term mm-hmm. care. But 100% of my outbound marketing goes to the, um, you know, my niche market. So I think that that's the other tip is to figure out what your your message is and figure out who your target market is very early. Um, what was the second part of the question?
0: I'm actually going to change the second part of the question based on okay. some of what you just said, which is actually, because I, th- I think you answered the second part, which is it's, it's always in the in the niche. It's always in that that people can find out you know, how to share their message. The second part of the question actually changed it into what does the next 10 years look like for you?
1: The next ten years, yeah, I, I think that there will be a lot more virtual. I believe that live events from now, from going forward, will always now have some kind of virtual component. Mm-hmm. So I have changed my office into a film studio. I have green screen. I have you know the bookcase um, set that you're seeing in the back here. I have a couple different curtains. I want to get better as far as you know production where I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Part of it live and part of it pre-recorded and just making my programs more than of an experience, mm. which I do now, but when, I, when I'm seeing what is coming in the world of using technology and making it more of a show than just a boring voiceover slides, because I will tell you what, in a year from now or a couple of years from now, if the only thing that you are able to do is a you know powerpoint presentation with voiceover slides you're going to fail mm. it it's um so my next 10 years are continuing to get better at the craft that i'm doing now continuing to invest in myself and my skills but also um, to take my technology up a up a level so that it can be more of a production and people are getting uh, you know, they're engaged and having a good time, whether I am actually in the room or thousands of miles away from them.
0: Absolutely. Well, Lisa, thank you very much for your time and uh, and, and your insights. And I, 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 These conversations, aside from the people listening, it's great to hear from people who've got 10, 20, 30 years of experience and you can get all those top insights in a in a short space of time. So I really appreciate that. And for the people listening, who have that passion who are looking for that thing that lights them up in the way that lisa spoken about how gratitude has for her is you know when you feel it and that, that is it's an incredible feeling when you find that and i know my sister for example she was looking for that for a very long time she then found that in yoga and i always say to people once as soon as you find that you have to you know you're absolutely right, Lisa, in the sense that you've got to find a way. If you're gonna make if that's gonna be part of your career, you've got to find a way to, to be able to finance it and make money from it and everything else and understand the marketplace and do that kind of audience insights. But absolutely I think when you find that thing at the level of kind of passion excitement that you've you've talked about and the way you've expressed it on this call then you, you have to steer into it you have to because it's such a shame you know how you could think about how different your life would be if you hadn't steered into that and so uh, it's, it's great to hear people with that level of passion so Lisa I just want to say thank you very much and um, I wish you all the best with your uh, virtual engagements in the time being yeah. as well
1: well thank you very much again it was great to it was great to chat with you
0: yes absolutely